0: Good morning, good morning. We have the pleasure of having Damon Ridley, a financial advisor, consultant, um, who really has helped a lot of families, and he's here to talk to us and tell us what is best for us in terms of this investing and what it does mean to creating for our family, our community, and leaving a legacy. So, Damon, welcome.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: So tell me a little bit about how did you get started in your field, and
1: uh, yeah,
0: just tell us how did you get started.
1: Sure, sure. Um, I got started in interest in uh, investing and building wealth at the very at the young age of sixteen, and I never figured the day it was a um, day that really changed my life. I was in high school and I was introduced to the financial planning, and financial advising industry on a career day from a former alumni. And so the gentleman came in, and he talked about his uh, profession, talked about the amount of income that he earned, and he just talked about his ability of helping people and educating people. And I had already had strong interest in investing at that time, but didn't really have an understanding of where to go. But after um, participating and that discussion really opened my eyes and it put me on a, a career path that i never turned back from.
0: Great, great. You know, um, that's interesting. So you could say it was similar to like the difference between playing chess and checkers or what would be a good analogy for that?
1: <laughs> well, that's, that's a great analogy because what he said were a couple things that um, grabbed my attention right away. And these were were things that I had already been thinking. Prior to wanting to be a financial advisor, I was thinking of maybe becoming an attorney or becoming um, some type of uh, engineer and only because these were professions that had been um, shared or told by family that I would be good at. And so kind of following their recommendation and, and their plan and not having, you know, a plan of my own yet was able to hear from him about the benefits of working in the financial services industry. So the first and foremost was that, hey, you get to help a lot of people who are um, innovative, who are hungry, and you get that while they build companies, while they um, uh, develop different products, while, while they may help uh, communities, you're able to help them manage their wealth and their finances as a result, which then further helps those communities even more. And then secondly, he said, hey, listen, you can make a lot of money if you help a lot of people in this industry and you only have to go to school for four years. I said, whoa, I'm sold. When can I start? That's
0: great because, you know, to being a neurosurgeon or any of the other fields, you have to go to school for at least 12 years after going to school. High school, so that's great uh knowing and having a- cl- a clear vision of what you wanted to do. so tell me a little bit about some of your successes in your in your field that you you can really point to because people want to know well, you've got to be successful, so maybe you have some success stories you could share with us
1: sure so um, I have uh, numerous um situations where I've been able to help families navigate the uh, retirement landscape so i've I've been in the industry for about 16 17 years and so early on um, some of the clients who i initially started working with when they retired but have really been able to help them uh, set up the retirement income streams that they've wanted so that they can continue on living that same lifestyle but when some of them have passed on how the money was able to transfer to their uh, heirs, to the beneficiaries in a smooth manner, and to see how some of the fears that the clients initially had, hey, if I die, will they do the right thing with the money? And then having to see when that time did happen, that their mindset was focused on continuing to maximize that that hard-earned money, that their um their father grandfather grandmother were able to accumulate over time so that was probably the most rewarding because now that legacy continues on you know it's something that is is not going to get um diminished or depleted in one generation so they they went on to open up businesses as a result went on to uh pay for uh younger children's education, uh, college education, private school education. So those dollars are getting recycled, and they're really creating that generational wealth. And then uh, some other um, areas that I really love, I love to work with individuals who are hungry, who are looking to build wealth from nothing. And they say, hey, listen, just give me the game plan on what I need to do to pay off debt, to, accum- to start accumulating uh, wealth, to start building and investing and saving, and to see them start from nothing, and then five years later accumulate uh, six figures, to be debt free, to go from, you know, having mortgages, student loan debt, and stick to a game plan where that will help them pay those all of that debt off in 11 years. To see that in five years they've cut that debt in half, you know, those are the things that are truly rewarding when you're able to see people who. Um, buy into the system, and then they fully execute the system. They fully commit
0: 100%. Great. I love that idea of the generational wealth. So what? Do you, how would you define generational wealth? Some people say, I don't know what that is. So maybe you could give us a definition or uh, an explanation for it.
1: Sure. Generational wealth is simply when uh, a sum of assets w- – uh, investing it could be real estate property it could it could be business interest has been able to continue on creating income long after the initial person who invested it has passed on and so that those assets are now able to continue to support the family are able to provide the family with um, financial benefit because they've been set up and positioned properly so that there's a smooth transition from one generation to the next generation.
0: Yeah, that is so important because we hear so many horror stories of when, um a, you know, let's say a matriarch or a patriarch has a lot of wealth and somehow or another it's lost, you know, either through probate or courts and so forth like that. So. What's the game plan? How do you help people structure that? Do you have a specific um, guide that you give people to be able to create that generational wealth? Uh,
1: Yes, absolutely. And And that guide is a process, and the process is called the financial planning process. And so within the financial planning process, there are six areas that make up the science of building wealth. And so one of the areas is estate planning. And so estate planning takes a look at what are the assets that you currently have, and if you were to pass away, how do you want those assets to get transferred? But then more importantly, how would the states and uh, the federal law potentially tax those assets? So we're dealing with two issues. We want to minimize as much tax taxation as possible as it transfers from one generation to another. But then we ultimately want to have the assets positioned in the way that that uh, investor will like for the family to have them. And so oftentimes, um, after having conversations with investors, they want them to benefit from the income stream or, or assets in a way that will help further their financial wealth building, help further... The beneficiaries financial wealth building so that so the income can help pay down debt the income can then uh, be used to um, buy uh, different or open up different business opportunities the The income can be used to educate um younger generations um so that they can be in a position to uh, have the uh, strongest knowledge base to then further on that family as much as possible. And so by going through the financial planning process, there are certain things that we look for, certain um, uh, weaknesses and obstacles that will basically in everyone's financial estate plan, and we solve what those weaknesses are, and we put together different strategies that can help make that transition um, as smooth as possible, but more importantly, giving that investor the control in the direction that they want as opposed to the states telling them what should be done.
0: Oh, great. So, so is that like um, you know, augment maybe what's called a, a living will trust? Is that something that you also, is that part of the estate planning?
1: Yes. Yeah, so so part of the estate planning for the basics would be looking at making sure a, a will is in place. And really what the will is used for, the, the will is more so used for personal Effects uh, personal items that don't have what's called a, a beneficiary designation automatically attached to it. So they could be a car. Um, so if if a joint owner is not put on the title of a car prior to someone's death, then the car would have to be listed into the will. Or if um, the car is not titled in the name of a trust, then it certainly has to be listed into the will. Now the The good sign of a great estate plan is to have as little of items in the will as possible because they have to go through probate and when you go through the probate process, that is where the states determine what are the the values of all the assets and then what is the potential debts that are outstanding, and then based upon that, well, how much of a of a tax um Will you owe based on your amount of assets? Well, if you can uh, have minimum items that, that are listed in the will, well, that's going to lower your estate taxation um, probability. So things like the home and a car, they can be titled differently, they can be placed in different types of trusts so that they are in entities that are not included in your estate. And that's basically what a trust is. A trust is something that is uh, its own entity, and it's a uh, um, an entity that lives on forever or a period of time, depending upon how you set it up. And then that is the owner of different types of assets that can then have their its own set of instructions on how it will uh, use those assets going forward.
0: Great. Well, that's, that's really a, a really important aspect. Now, the question I have, Taman, um, is a lot of times, you know, you have people who have acquired a lot of stock, you know, brokerage mm-hmm. accounts and so forth like that, and they get into a place where, let's say, they're no longer 50 or 60, but now they're 80 or 90, and sometimes their cognitive ability is on a decline. How would you address that? You know, Because that is an important thing because people are living a lot longer.
1: Yes, yes. One of the things that for a long time I, that I've, I've always felt, and probably within the last four or five years I've come to the conclusion, is that there's so many people in the population who are living in the 80s and the 90s. And so what do I mean by that? So they use... 1980s and 1990s investment philosophies. Um, ever since the year 2000, the, the economic landscape has changed to a different type of stock, uh, stock market cycle. So you have to utilize a different investment strategy. However, in the 80s and the 90s, you know people were very lackadaisical with how they had their accounts and their stock certificates. Uh, stock certificates and that they would kind of have them all over the place. You know, there wasn't a lot of great organization. Well, as a result, as a result of technology, the technology now can enable you to kind of keep all of this information under one umbrella. And so the, the fear that a lot of people have, is, oh, I don't, I don't want to put my information in a, a computer or, or I don't want it online, well, guess what, it's already online. It's already online. If you're not using it online, You just don't have the username and password. But everything is already connected in a digital manner. And listen, I'll give you a perfect example. Just last night, I was um, working with a new client, and he has shares of a certain stock that he received back in uh, 1989, 90, 91. And these were the actual physical stock certificates. And so he had written down a chart and written down a list of the amount of shares that he had. And it came to about a little over two hundred thousand dollars well i went into my different systems and started tracking some of these certificates well do you know come to find out that the value of that stock is not going to be two two hundred and thirty thousand dollars it's going to almost be nine hundred thousand dollars and and the reason why that there were several stock splits there were several um uh spin-offs that occurred uh with that company and so one of the questions that I'm going to ask him is, listen, if you would have known over the last 10, 15 years that your your account value, instead of being 200000 was five hundred to 900000 and if you could have earned a lot more money than what you were bringing in over that period of time, what would you have done differently? How could you have enjoyed your life better going through that period of time? And so that's something that we have to think about by not being organized. So he kind of missed out 10 to 15 years of a different type of lifestyle simply because he wasn't organized. Yeah,
0: organization, consistency are paramount skills to have. All right. You know, it is so true. Um, I, I, I can see that happening uh, a lot with people not knowing and not staying informed and not really uh having a willingness to learn new skills, we did it this way before, and this is the way we're going to continue so again, I think you brought you brought home a real good analogy there of what can happen when people are not willing to learn something new and are fearful of the technology um yes so that that I think is really a good point um. What are some of the frequently asked questions your clients come to you? You know, let's say they want to reach out to you, let's say a new client. What would be some frequently asked questions that you, that you find?
1: So um, some of the questions that they will ask is, first, uh, how, how do I charge fees? How am I compensated? Which is a great question. And um, so I simply let them know that I'm compensated uh, two ways. I can either uh, get paid a fee percentage based on an investment, or there may be a commission um, that may be paid, which is a lump sum that the investment company pays me outside of whatever investment that they make. And so that's always great to know because you have an understanding of, A, all the different products and services that um, an advisor can offer. And the thing that, that I tell a lot of prospective clients is that, If I'm only offering one type of product where it just solely pays you a fee, well, I'm not able to offer you other products that can do different things, that can have different types of performance, different types of um, benefits that you're missing out on that may charge a commission because they they do that by product design. And so once people kind of look look at it from that perspective, well, I'm only getting, you know, one flavor and I'm missing out on the other flavors, then they say, oh, okay, so now I get it. So there's two different ways that products are designed. And then another great analogy of that is if you go to a buffet and if they only tell you that, hey, um, we're only going to serve uh, vegetables, but you can't get the meat, well, w- wouldn't you kind of be disappointed? And so that's essentially what happens when um, you don't have all of the products on the table that may benefit your financial situation. So, uh, the, second, so the, the second question that's often asked is, well, how much money, how much income, you know, can they receive in retirement? And so them through an educated process of helping them understand, uh, first taking a look at how much income do they need. And oftentimes it can be a daunting process to think about retirement in terms of what the amount of income that is needed. But after kind of walking them through what their expenses are, what are, are some of their, um, any medical issues that they may have, kind of walking them through this process helps them crystallize and understand what is what income amounts that they need and where they can come from based upon the different savings and assets. So those will be the two main questions that people really want to know when they come in to meet with me.
0: Good. So, um, you know, a lot of times people who are investors, let's say who are in stock, they often they talk about themselves being a self directed investor and uh and then or else using what's called a robo uh system. What is what do you how would you look at that in terms of of success? Because a lot of people say I want to control my own money as being a self directed but then there's a large interest now in robo um advisors. Well, so
1: um, with stocks, you know, stocks, you can benefit significantly if you have a a benefit that you're receiving from investing. So, what do I mean by that? One of the best ways to invest into stocks is through um, an employer-sponsored purchase plan. And what that is is when um, a company who you work for that's publicly traded will offer stocks at a discount. And so that discount could be anywhere from 5% to 15% off of the stock price. Now, the other thing that they do, and this is something that is often forgot about and not really discussed in, in great detail, is that they will take money out of your paycheck, take out a percentage similar to how they take out a percentage for your 401K, but they will take out a percentage that you tell them to take and they will then buy the shares of the stock typically on a quarterly basis, but here's the kicker, is that they're going to buy the stock at the lowest stock price that occurred that quarter. So you get a, an additional benefit of being able to always buy low into that stock or, and then get added a discount on top of that. And that, when you factor that into a, um, uh, a stock purchase over a period of time or stock performance, that could be anywhere it could be worth anywhere from 10% to 20 25% per year over a 10 15 year period and that's kind of what happened to the investor who i mentioned uh that had the stock certificates that he was given those certificates through a former employer and had been able to just simply uh continue to have income uh, investments, I should say, taken out of this paycheck to accumulate. So so that's something that a lot of people actually have an easier way to get access to, and they need to reach out to their benefits department. So if you work for a, a telecom company, you work for a utility company, if you work for um, a large-scale Fortune 500 company, this is something that you want to reach out to your um, HR department to be able to identify. Now, for individual stock investing, you want to, you want to invest into stocks based upon a strategy. And the reason why you want to invest into stocks based on a strategy is that the strategy will always identify the right stocks to buy and the right time to sell them. So the strategy is going to tell you when to buy and it's going to tell you when to sell. Too many people fall in love with companies. And what they don't understand about companies is that depending upon where you buy into the company at, it, it can determine how much success you have. So if you're buying into a company that is in a, a early expansion phase or early in, uh, innovation phase of the business cycle, you know, you stand to really get some good, strong growth. But if you buy into a company after they've been around for 50, 60 years, you're probably going to be buying into a mature phase where they're just kind of chugging along, um, growing kind of nominally, year in, year out, so you may not see the same type of growth. So you, ha- so by by uh, having a strategy, first and foremost, it's going to tell you when to buy and sell. And the thing that you have to do with the strategy is that you have to execute it. Fall in love with the strategy. Don't fall in love with the stocks because the stocks are always going to change.
0: That's a good point, that having a strategy. Still going back to the chest, <laughs> you know, having a strategy and not just having a short-term but also a long-term plan, so that that really I think it, is a well reminder there. How do you talk to? How would you speak to someone who at different ages as far as an investor? We have uh, we hear a millennium investor, um, somebody who's under the age of thirty. What would what would you advise that particular investor?
1: Okay, that's that's a great question, and you know what, I realize that I didn't answer the second part. Of your previous question about the the robo-advisor um so yeah so so robo advisors i think are a good place to start for someone who may not have a relationship with a financial professional um, and that someone that can walk them through the investing process it's it's good to get started if you if you don't have that existing Uh, however there comes a, a point in time and I like to look at that value, Some, a dollar amount around $50,000 to 100000 Once you accumulate $50,000 to $100,000 is when you really want to uh, start to work with a financial professional because a financial professional can offer different investment vehicles that are not available at the robo-advisor level. One of the, the things that concern me about the robo-advising is that um, it is there's no defense on your money. So what do I mean by that? No defense. Well, if we go through some type of economic crisis, we go through a significant financial collapse like we did in 2008, well, your money is just going to take a 50% hit like it did uh, during that period of time. And it took six, seven years for your money to recover. And so a lot of people, they don't understand that that risk exists investing into – Stocks or or bonds, for that matter. So when that happens, they panic, and the robo advisor is not designed to answer your questions. You can't call into the robo advisor. You can't. You may send an email, but recently, when we had a a small hiccup in January, that the markets went down ten percent, a lot of the robo advisors they actually froze selling for investors' accounts, and so. Some may say, well, that's a good thing. But at the same time, that creates some exi- ex- uh, anxiety. You know, that creates some tension, some pressure, knowing that, hey, look, I can't touch my money. I can't have control of my money. So up to accumulating $50,000, if you're able to do that, then that's when around the time you really want to start looking at working with a prof- uh, financial professional that can really elevate you to the next game
0: that's so important because um i um uh, i had i'll share my little story <laughs> real quickly um i had um i had reached at a certain level and someone called me um i'm not sure if it was better meant, but anyway it was one of the advisors and they called me and they said uh yes we we would like to help you because you've reached a certain level and and i said well does that mean i turn everything over to you absolutely i said well i got to know what am I doing before I do that. And because he says, well, if you're not willing, then this is the end of this conversation. So I'm an older person. I felt very uncomfortable with that. (laughs) You know, I was willing to listen, but I wasn't willing to turn it over just because they said, we can do better than you can. So I think that that was not the right one. So I kind of shied away from talking to someone um, beyond that point. But I still use the robo uh, for different accounts, but i 'm glad you mentioned the good uh, ranges between when you get to fifty to a hundred thousand. you need to start talking to someone who can really guide you you know and so you can make sure you have a uh, a good game plan so thank you for sharing about that um, Another question is how would you uh advise going back to our millennium investor? would that still apply if they have? Um, the same amount of money when they should start speaking to an you know, advisor.
1: Yes, so um, if if they don't have a relationship with someone who they feel comfortable with, a financial advisor already, then a robo advisor will be good to set up an account just to start getting into the the habit of uh, investing, um, because you can once you get over some of the fears and you go through some of the different uh, economic cycles or trends that can self-educate you, and then ultimately, once you get to a certain dollar amount, you're going to start to seek out, you'll be more comfortable in seeking out uh financial professionals because you've gone through certain things and you kind of know what to look for. You you at least have a basic knowledge and understanding of investing. And so now it puts you in a position where, hey, you want financial advisors who are going to enhance what you're doing, not somebody who can just do the same thing, but someone who can take you to the next level with the different types of strategies that they can bring to the table. And so with millennials, you know, they have, I think, two, two big issues that, well, three big issues that they face that no other, uh, generation prior to them have gone through. Now, they have one big, one major benefit that they have that no other generation has had prior to them, and that, is that they will be the first generation that will that can invest from the age of 21 to the age of 65 online by themselves, you know, with relative ease. All previous generations weren't able to really do that um, until the early 2000s. So the millennials, so they're the first to do that. So what that means is that at the age of 21 upon graduating from college, if you put your dollars into the right investment strategy, they can grow substantially over a 20-, 25-year period of time. So instead of them working to age 65, many of them may be in a position to retire and start receiving income that can match their salary between ages 45 and 50. So that's significant. So that's one major benefit. One drawback is that, well, they're coming out with a ton of student loan debt, and the, the job income is not as strong to really justify... Um, paying that debt yet so they may have a car note they may have to uh, uh, share rent and they have to look at different types of expenses on top of the student loan debt because the student loan debt a lot of cases you're talking about fifty thousand to two hundred thousand dollars depending upon what type of um, degree that they have so those payments that's where the pain can come from now so what can they do to fix that? Well, they have to do something different, something that's outside of the box. And this is something that hasn't been taught generationally from any generation. But now it it has to be at the forefront of building wealth. And that is instead of having the expectation of coming out and buying a home, you have to buy an investment property. You have to buy a triplex or fourplex investment property and the the reason why is that because they offer multiple streams of income. And the way that those properties there's different ways that the lending can be applied for in, in those properties, but ultimately what happens is that those millennials will can live in one of those units, rent out the other two or three. And you can purchase a triplex or a fourplex the same way that you could buy a a residential first-time home which is typically no money down or really low money down and now you have an income producing property that's going to pay its pay the mortgage for you so that wipes away those rent payments you were making and then you're going to have some extra cash left over which can be applied to those student loans to pay them off aggressively and so now that leaves your your income that you're earning from your employer all to yourself and of that income you need to be able to save aggressively. So in the past, people may have been taught, oh, you want to put away 10 to 15% of your income, but unfortunately with the current economic uh, volatility that we have in the job market, meaning that jobs are being replaced every five to seven years, the, um, the savings needs, needs to be at about 20 to 25% of your gross income because if you do lose your job, you're able to have a strong amount of reserves, emergency funds, to fall back on until you get the next job. Because what happened at the last economic crisis in 2008, a lot of people lost their job because they didn't have enough cash on hand to, to pay their expenses until they found a comparable job. And that was the big key. You know, 10, 15 years ago when people lost a job, it may have taken them six months to find a comparable job. Now it it may take them a year, a year and a half to find a comparable job, which means that they may have to take something of lesser income just to bring income in so that they can uh, pay some of the bills. So these are all many issues that have arisen within the last uh, 10 years that are not getting addressed but can certainly be overwhelming, but there's always a plan that can fix that. And so what happens is that when you look at the math, when 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 I share that concept to a lot of millennials, they're all over it. They love it. And they get the biggest resistance from their family because their family, they weren't educated in that manner. They weren't informed of ways that you build wealth to that degree of income-producing property. And so they more so look at it like a potential, uh, a risk or a potential threat when that's not often the case because the mortgage payments will typically can be around the same than uh, as what they will be looking to buy in a regular um, single family home or, or small townhouse. So it's just a matter of help educating millennials about, hey, what are your financial goals? What are uh, the current issues that you're facing? And here are some ways to overcome that.
0: I really like that. I think that um that whole process of creating a multiple stream of income is so important. And another thing you're talking about is diversification. Um the changes and the winds of the economy requires that you have to adjust. We cannot stay with the same paradigm that we had 15 years ago. Would you now how would you address people who are let's say generation X um would you give them a special kind of uh, um strategy that you know because they may not be earning the income that they want or they may be an unsatisfied you know unsatisfactory job market? What would you offer them as far as a game plan
1: sure so so everything always uh focuses on what, what's your current cash flow how much income is coming in, and what are your expenses what type what type of debt that you have because a lot of times if instead of going out and getting a second job, if there's some efficiency that's created within managing the cash flow, that can free up a couple hundred to a couple thousand dollars a month, and that could be worth – having a second job without the job because you simply have become more efficient. And so the way in which that is done is through different type of uh, technology tools, um, different types of of processes and and strategies that help understand the spending habits for the general Xer. And also one of the issues for the general Xer is um, I I like to think of it as the unhidden or, or, or the not told expense of child raising and this is something that in growing up you were encouraged to have to start a family however the cost of starting that family was never discussed or the cost may have been assumed to be minimum If, if you think about growing up in the 80s and the 90s there were a lot better quality public schools a lot better quality um uh daycare resources, now everything has exponentially grown through the roof. So the cost of raising a child can be significant. So as a result of that, a lot of the dollars that Generation Xers use is going towards child-rearing. So what they have to do is that once they get in, into a position where that cost starts to decrease, the the, the children um, are in a, a position where they're either going to college or uh, graduating from college and it's no longer... A financial burden, then they have to aggressively look at uh, investing, and so and what I mean by aggressively meaning that they have to just save more of their income, and then picking the right strategy will help match what type of growth that you need on those dollars. But they have to kind of look at their um, their financial timeline and say, okay, hey, maybe um, in my first twenty years from age twenty say age 45, is all about getting the kids in the right position. And maybe I'm only able to put the minimum of investing towards retirement and investing towards savings because I have these other expenses. But once those expenses are have been cut, now I need to aggressively pick up the pace and start to utilize strategies that can help me catch up and make up for time.
0: Great. yeah, I, I really um, – like that because, you know, a lot of times now we're looking at people are at different ages. So now let's look at the boomer. You know, let's say they're still working. Um, what can they do to you know, they're probably more looking at, well, I gotta leave a legacy type of thing. But what would you advise a boomer, for example? Somebody who's well, let's say maybe between fifty five and sixty five, for example. That would be a boomer for example.
1: Sure. So with boomers, so they have a couple of different issues that they have to focus on. And their issue, number one, is, is the biggest source is retirement income. You know, one of the scary, scary uh um, issues that's occurring right now is the lack of underfunding of pensions across the country. The, uh, and mainly by the state. A lot of states are 50% underfunded. And then you have a lot of corporations that are 50% underfunded. And so what's happening is a way to kind of minimize the the underfunding problem. A lot of the states and a lot of the corporations, they're giving the, the pension that has been accumulated for that boomer over a 20-, 30-year period into a lump sum. And so what the boomer has to do is that they can't look at those dollars as hitting the lottery. So they can't look at it like, oh, man, I'm going to get a half a million dollars. I want to take 20000 here. I want to take 50000 to do this. No, you can't do that. You have to convert that lump sum into an income stream. And then in addition to that, you want to have dollars going into your corporate retirement plan. And then you want to be able to uh, identify when is the right time I need to take Social Security. Because oftentimes people take it as soon as they can get it, and that's not the best time to take it. So you have to analyze all the different streams of income that you're going to receive and then determine, okay, hey, how can I put myself in a position where I'm going to have a comfortable retirement, meaning that I'm going to have as much income close to my net income that I was earning from employment that's going to be able to grow over time and then allow me to be able to have a lot of freedom and flexibility. So a retirement income plan will, will, um, will typically solve that issue. One of the other issues that they have is health. So um, there's the a particular topic called long-term care, which simply is providing some type of uh, care for someone who is going to go through, uh, someone that's elder that's going to go through a adverse uh, medical condition that's going to pretty much Leave them, uh, uh, habilitated where they're not going to be able to do the cleaning. They're not going to be active. They're not going to be able to really take care of themselves. So they need, uh, um, other professionals to be around or family members to be around to provide the care. The problem is, is that there's a cost for that. And if the cost is not met, uh, the assets have to be used to pay for it. So assets like what? Well, income, Social Security, pension checks. If if there's not a um, a way, if they can't sufficiently pay for the care, well, the the different institutions or states will take those uh, income streams and apply them against the cost of a nursing home care where the family member may have to live in a facility, may have to share a bedroom so that they can be able to get the care that they need. And so if you have substantial assets if you don't have something in place, a long-term care policy in place or some type of um asset protection strategy in place that can help provide full cost or cover a substantial enough cost so that you can have control on how that care is provided, it puts a lot of people into an adverse situation because they don't get the care and they don't get the lifestyle that they have, and they kind of uh, go through their – later years in a more miserable manner and so that's a, a significant huge threat and the one thing that boomers are starting to see is that a lot of their parents are currently going through these this issue and a lot of the boomers may have had the attitude early on oh we can take care of mom or dad as a family but as they start to go through that process, it becomes so draining. It becomes so stressing that they really uh, regret not having a game plan in place. And so they're kind of learning from someone else's misfortune of how important it is to have that type of game plan in place.
0: That is, again, you're getting back to that strategy and game plan, strategy and game plan. Um, One of the things I guess people want to know is, well, Damon, how do we get in touch with you? How do we reach out and, you know, and have more conversations? Because, you know, this is just an interview. We're touching on a lot of issues. So how do we get in touch with you?
1: Sure. The best way to reach me would be um, uh, email at dritley at ritleywealthstrategies.com. I'm also on uh, LinkedIn at uh, Damon Ritley. And also my website is uh, RidleyWealthStrategies.com and then you can also contact me through the website as well. And if if you need to call in, you can certainly feel free to call in at 301-982-0014.
0: Can you repeat that one more time? (laughs) Somebody might be writing it down.
1: (laughs) Sure. Uh, Phone number is 301-982-0014. Email address is D Ridley at strategies dot com R I D L E Y Wealth Strategies I E S at the end. dot com.
0: Thank you, thank you so much. I have truly enjoyed having this uh, interview with you. I've learned a lot. I, I'm sure that others as as well. So again, I wanted to thank you again for your time, your wealth of information. And are there any last points that you'd like to to sum up and and say so to encourage people to take advantage of this wonderful, um, you know, uh, strategy, developing a game plan, and uh, just and just encouraging people to start doing it now.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So I'll leave two things with you. Uh, the first thing is that if you feel intimidated, if you feel any type of intimidation, prepudation by investing process, it simply means that you have to get educated. And so one of the things that I pride myself on is providing tons of education, because once you have the education, you have the empowerment. My job as a financial advisor is to let you know what your strategies are, not to make decisions for you. By letting you know what your strategies are, you're able to pick and choose those that make you feel the most comfortable. So for those who would like to get some education, send me an email at dritley at reallywealthstrategies.com, and I can um, send you wealth updates that go out periodically. And this can be a way that can introduce you to all different types of topics of how the stock market is performing, uh, different uh, events that occur, elections, different laws that get passed, and what type of effect that it has on your economic uh, situation so that over time you get more comfortable so that when you're ready you 'll be able to uh, dive in uh, to start investing and the second thing is that for those who are currently investing, you going based upon the changes that are happening all around the world, you have to become more uh, more aggressive in the amount of money that you 're putting towards your investments and the reason being is that the more aggressive and saving you are, the more money you 're going to accumulate. With well, the more money you're going to accumulate, the more power that you're going to have, and that you're going to be able to dictate uh, what happens in your community and also in this country. And by doing that, you're going to have more and more of the, of the laws that's changed to your favor and to your benefit. And then people are really going to hear your voice. And so that those are the ways in which uh, investing and building wealth can impact your financial well-being and your personal well-being as well. Again, thank you
0: so much Damon for your wealth of information and just really want to thank you. Okay.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.